I was blind and now I can see. <laughs> it's a good thing I know those verses by heart. Um, is, is in World War I, the whole warfare pattern changed because up until that time, warfare was fought primarily by professional armies on battlefields and the civilians did not get directly involved in the warfare. They experienced the result of whoever won or lost. But in World War II, it was brought into the cities and in World War, World War I, it was brought into the cities. And then again in World War II, as we've seen the, 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 we've seen the, the, the TV films and the, and the documentaries and we see how entire cities were just about destroyed. Uh, London was almost destroyed in the Battle of Britain with a bombing and then Berlin was destroyed and many of the European, Western European cities especially were destroyed, a good parts of Russia were destroyed. The, the People's houses, factories, places where they worked and lived were destroyed because the war was brought to them and suddenly whether they wanted to or not, whether they signed up and enlisted for it or not, they found themselves in the middle of a warfare. And we went through that last week because we need to wake up and realize we're in a war and the war is not a war of flesh. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. And because of that, it's deceptive. We don't understand certain things because what we'll do is we'll fight with the wrong weapons or not even realize there's anything to fight. We'll just kind of lay down and take it. And there's a good section of the church, not this church, but there's a good section of churches and denominations that basically believe that what a Christian needs to learn to do is accept whatever happens because whatever happens must be the will of God because God brings, allows all things or brings all things into our life. But that ignores the fact that the Bible teaches we have an enemy. And Jesus said he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's serious stuff. He's come to steal from us, and he doesn't play fair. He doesn't play by any rules. And this is what happened also in World War I. They stopped playing by the, by, the, by the Geneva Convention, and they started abusing on both sides chemical warfares, different types of chemical warfares, and they became even more insidious and more difficult to detect and more destructive. So they weren't playing fair. And the devil doesn't play fair, so we need to wake up and realize that we are in a warfare and we are in a battle. But as we're going to learn, it's God's plan that we not just survive, but we win, and it's critical that we win because there's much at stake in this war. That's why you're in this war. That's why Satan has come, comes against the church. He comes against you and me because we are the church because he knows why we're here better often than, the chur- often than the church knows why we're here. And he knows the threat that you are, and he knows the threat that this church is. He knows the threat that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is, and that's why he puts pressure on it. He brings threats of fear against it, anything to intimidate us so we'll just hide back in a corner and just hope this all blows away and we give him the upper hand. And so that's what we began to look at last week and we saw that, we saw that three basic things. We saw that we need to realize that we're in a war. We saw that the world is now in the domain of Satan because Jesus, Adam gave him that authority that God had given to him and we ended by seeing that Jesus came to defeat the power of the enemy. For this reason was the Son of God manifest, 1 John chapter 3, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. And now we're going to pick up tonight, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. Right next to the right-hand side of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. In chapter 2 last week, we learned that, that um, he, destroyed, he destroyed on the cross, he destroyed the power of sin. Let's look at verse 13. 
Well, let's go back. Won't hurt us. Verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day, this is Paul talking about, since we heard of it, did not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. Stop there a second. Didn't we just read over, an, or I, I quoted to you, out of Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the power of, in His power. God never tells you to be strong in your own strength. He never tells you to be strong in the strength of the government. He never, you know, don't put your trust for what's going on in the world. And I'm not speaking against the government. It's because it's man's efforts to, de- to defeat spiritual work. There's a spiritual war going on there in man's programs, man's legislation, man's knowledge, man's training. We'll, we may be able to resist it to a point, but cannot ultimately defeat what's going on because it has a spiritual root to it. Therefore, the only hope the world has is the church. Because we're the only ones empowered with the authority of God to defeat the, the, the weapons of Satan, which we're going to look at tonight, begin to look at tonight. So here it is again. Be strengthened with all might, that means power, according to His, that's God's glorious power. What? For all patience, that's steadfastness, and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And He has delivered. And He has delivered. Not will deliver when you get to heaven. You won't need this when you get to heaven. But He has delivered us, that's the church, from the power or authority of darkness. So the authority and power that Adam turned over to Satan when he sinned, Jesus came back to win that back, and he did win that back, and he won it back for the church that would be joined to him. He is the head, and we are his body. So whatever the head has, the body has. You don't talk to somebody's head separately than their body. I don't go to Jerry and say, Jerry, I'm not talking to your head, I'm just talking to your body right now. We may look at his eye, may look in his eyes, but I'm talking to Jerry, I'm talking about to all of Jerry. So if I say, Jerry, would you please go get uh, another bullet for me in the back, I'm not expecting his head to get up and roll down the aisle. I'm expecting his head to listen to what I've asked him to do and his entire body to get up and cooperate together to fulfill what I've asked him to do. In the same way, the Father God gives to the head of the church his plan and his instructions. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Jesus said, I only came to do my Father's will. He said to his disciples in John chapter 4 when they came back from finding, getting the Burger King lunch or the whatever they got, and he says, no, I have meat to eat of you don't know of, because my meat is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the head is committed 
to carry out the Father's will, but the head is in heaven. The head can't do that. That's task now been assigned to the rest of his body. Well, it would be ridiculous to think the head has a power and authority that the body doesn't have. And this is what the church hasn't awakened to. Parts of it have in prior times. Is the authority that the church has been given. Because we've been spending so much of our time living in a carnal realm, looking at carnal issues, interpreting everything the way the world looks at that, and we become weak in faith. We don't know how to walk in the Spirit. We don't know how to war in the Spirit. We try to deal with spiritual issues just the way the world deals with them, with our own reasoning and our own understanding, with our own emotion. We get mad at things that happen, and we just want to get in there and fight one way or the other, whether it's politically or with our fists, and we're using carnal weapons. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But it's a preview of where we're going. He has delivered us, the church, from the power or the authority of darkness. And he's conveyed or transferred us, has done this, into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's the spirit realm. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, which is the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So when you came to Christ, the victory that he won on the cross, the victory that he won in hell, taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave, the victory won when he was ascended into heaven, that victory was now transferred into his body. That's why he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me Therefore you, my body, go forth making disciples of all nations, teaching them to do all that I've commanded. You go forth and do, because I give you the authority that I've been given to go forth. And that's what Satan is scared down to the tips of his boots to figure out that the church is going to discover this. But you've been transferred. So we don't have to be afraid of him. I hear of Christians sometimes saying, oh, I better not say, make that bold confession. The devil might hear me. He's the very one that needs to hear you. He's trying to intimidate you. So we need to see where we've been placed. Six, John 16, John chapter 16. You don't need to hear this tonight. I do. <laughs> John 16, part of Jesus' last instructions to the, his disciples. Verse 33. These things I've spoken to you. all oh, John 13, 14, 15, and 16. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. The body connected to the head. The branches connected to the vine may have peace. There is no peace outside of Christ. There is no peace outside of Christ. 
These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The world should never intimidate the church because the head of the church has already overcome the world. But the reason that we are so easily intimidated is we've invested so much of our heart, so much of our energy, so much of our thinking. We've invested so much of our lives in this world and the things of this world. And the only thing that Satan can, the only thing that Satan can threaten in your life are the things of this world. And because we're so heavily invested in them, it threatens us often to the very core. And that's an awakening, as we've been learning on Sunday, night, Sunday mornings, to check the foundation of our life. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In me you will have peace. Romans chapter 8. These are good verses to speak to yourself. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He's not saying those things won't come. He said they can't separate you from God's love for you. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I want to give you a, a, a definition, a practical definition of what it means to be more than a conqueror. You've seen the, these prize fighters, these boxers, the heavyweight boxers, and they don't just, you know, go, in, go into the ring one day and decide they're going to fight the, world, the champion of the world. They do training for six months or longer when they eat only certain foods and they, they get the sleep that they need and they get the exercise that they need and they go this through in this intense training and they give up everything that's enjoyable so that they can commit themselves. You've seen the Rocky movies, come on. Don't be so spiritual. And so that they commit themselves for maybe, you know, 15 minutes fighting that guy so they don't get their head beat in and so that they can win. And so this... Challenger goes through all this training for months of training in self-denial. He gets in the ring and he goes through round one, two, three, four, all the way up to round fifteen. And he's and he and, and at the end of the at the of the end of the boxing match, he ends up winning by the by the points. And so his face is all swollen. And he's battered and bruised. He can hardly breathe. His hands are swollen. And he he they they, they give him the check for his purse, and he goes home as the conqueror, and he walks in the door, and his wife kisses him and reaches out and takes the check out of his hands. She's more than a conqueror. (laughs) And all the women said, Amen. That's more than a cute story. Because he went through the self-denial he faced the enemy. He took the bruises that belonged to us. His body was beaten beyond recognition. Face was beaten beyond recognition. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He, by his stripes on his back, 
we are, he took our sickness and disease. The chastisement, the shame and the, the, the mocking for our peace was upon him. Spirit, soul, and body, he bore what we deserved. And then when he came home to the Father with the victory that he won, the Father took the victory that he won and turned and handed it to you and to me. Jesus conquered Satan, but you and I are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. That's why Paul goes on to say, I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded, verse 38, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come shall ever be able to separate me from the love of God that was given to me in Christ Jesus. Amen. First John chapter 4. here this morning. There we go. Jude. That's to the left. Verse 4. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The overcoming he's talking about is the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, let's go back and look. Verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and that's true today. But this, by this you may know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Meditate on that. We don't need to be afraid of he who is in the world. Because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Who's that? That's the Spirit of God that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. We just read over in Colossians chapter 1 where it says that all things that are created were created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, including things in this unseen realm, principalities and powers. That means even the spirit realm was created for his benefit. So the one who's living in you is the one for whom those spirits were created. They're just in rebellion. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater. You ought to get up in the morning when you're looking in the mirror, whether you're shaving or doing your hair, and just greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You start fearing fearful. Say, greater is he that's in me. Just look. Greater is he. Greater is he. Not equal. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We're going to see that this is not a fair fight. This is not a fair fight. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. I have the victory 
that's overcome the world is living in me. It's living in you. How come I'm not walking in it? Because you don't believe it's in you. It's in there, but it's like having, it's like the devil's out there. I used to use this example. It's like, it's like you know those old Western movies with the gunfight, you know, on the main street? Now, you got the devil out there, and he's trying to intimidate you, and he's got his six-shooter here. And the church is over here hoping we have bullets in our gun. Shaking in our knees, most Christians think they got a squirt gun. And they're scared that the devil's going to shoot them. And we're going to find out that not only don't we have a squirt gun, we're, it's as if we're sitting over here in whatever the latest fighter jet is, F-15 or whatever it is, with all those missiles sitting in there. And all we got to do is push a button. When he pulls that revolver to shoot us, push a button and that rocket goes off. Because greater is he that's in you. Greater is he that's in you. Not, you don't, see, you don't have to call up. That's what it says in Romans 10. You don't have to call up from heaven to get him down here. And you don't have to try to call him up out of the darkness to get him up here. The word of faith is in you, even in your mouth and in your heart. And that's the problem. We haven't sown it into our heart, and it's not what's coming out of our mouth. What's coming out of our mouth is what the devil's doing in the world. What's coming out of our mouth is what the devil's doing in our life. And what we're doing is we're worshiping and we're empowering him in our life. We're taking the power and the authority that's been given to us to defeat him. Instead, we're using it to authorize him to defeat us. It's like not knowing which, which end of the gun to aim. Guns are dangerous if you don't know what to do with them. You could shoot yourself. And that's what a lot of Christians are doing with the weapons that God has given us. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I asked... Brent Gilliam before the service because he used to teach at the War College. One of the War Colleges, of course, most of you know, is down here in, in Newport, Rhode Island. And they send their officers there, and this may sound kind of obvious, to learn about war, which may be why they call it the War College. And I asked him what they learn there. He says they learn strategies. Because if you study history, you'll find even an old tactical maneuvers and and strategies that have been, it's helpful to know them and study them and study modern day techniques and modern day strategies. Well, the Bible teaches us to learn about the strategies of the warfare that we're in, and that's what we're going to begin to look at. Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the power and destructiveness of the devil. That you, that's not what it says. Let's go read it together. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes, that word means, of the devils. Now that Greek word for scheme literally means this, according to Thayer. Craftily framed devices designed to deceive. Well, that's got a lot of D's in it, doesn't it? Craftily framed, craftily framed, planned devices, 
that are designed to deceive. And that's his weapon. His weapon is deceit. Crafty and designed, but they're designed to deceive you. Now I've got this question. If he had so much power against the church, why would he need to deceive us? If he had so much power to destroy us, why hasn't he done it? Let me ask a different question. The worst thing that could ever happen in your life, as far as the devil's concerned, was for you to get saved. The very possible worst thing, the last thing Satan ever wanted to happen in your life, was for you to come to Christ. Because the moment you came to Christ, we just read in Colossians 1.13, is you were taken out of his domain, out of his kingdom, where he had power and influence in your life, and you were transferred over into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You were taken out of his dominion, out of his domain, out of his authority. You were taken out from underneath his control. If he, could, if, if he would have wanted to stop anything in your life, it would have been that, but he couldn't, could he? or you wouldn't be here. So the thing, if anything, he would have used his power against, it would have been to stop you from getting saved. But he couldn't stop you from getting saved. Well, if he couldn't stop that with his power, why would we think he could stop God's will in our life? He doesn't have the power to... He's powerful... Don't ever get out there trying to deal with him on your own. Don't take him for granted and say, hey, I'm going to take you on. No, it's always be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Putting on the whole armor of God, not your armor. Because we learned several years ago when we studied the armor of God, when you put the armor of God on, you're putting God on. So when the devil sees you, he sees God. And he's messed with him before. That you may be able to stand against the wiles, the, the, the craftily framed devices designed to deceive. But here's the problem. Let's go over to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, it's interesting. Here what Paul's talking about is he's talking about in the, in the f- first Corinthians, in chapter 5, Paul addressed an issue where the church had not addressed a moral issue within the church. We don't see a lot of that in the church anymore. They addressed a moral issue. And the moral issue was there was a man in the church who was living with his stepmother. And Paul says, because you didn't deal with that, I got him. And basically his dealing with it was to, to remove them from the fellowship of the church so that they would get a taste of what it would like to be ultimately removed from the body of Christ with the idea 
of repentance and bringing him back in. That's always God's discipline. Is always with the idea of waking people up, waking us up, so we realize where we are, so we stop going in that direction, so we'll come back into the f- proper fellowship with God and with each other. And what happened is they did that, and it must have worked, because Paul's now instructing them to forgive this person and begin to include them back in, lest Satan destroy their life by, by having them feel so separated and alone that they turn on themselves. So he's just instructed them to forgive. Verse 10, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven the one for, for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his devices. Notice Paul doesn't say here, look, we've got to be careful because he might come in and throw his power around and destroy this man. He says, no, 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 we have to be on guard because what Satan wants to do is take an advantage. That's all he can do is take advantage of something that we're not on alert for. To take advantage of this situation because we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. Let's go over to Second Peter. I mean, excuse me, First Peter, chapter five. Therefore, verse 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, that means alert. Be vigilant, that means on guard, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice what that does not say. It does not say, be afraid. Because the devil is a lion out there devouring Christians. What it says is be vigilant. Be alert. Why? Because he uses schemes and devices. That's what you have to be vigilant and alert for. Be vigilant and alert because you have an adversary. And he goes about as a roaring lion. As if he is a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour. That implies he can't just devour whomever he chooses. Right? So what he's looking for are opportunities where he's given that opportunity to devour someone that gives him that advantage. So this ties right back with what we just read in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, don't be ignorant of his devices. We don't want to give him an opportunity. There's a video, I may show it at some point, it runs about eight or ten minutes. And it's a video taken at Kruger uh, National Park in, in Africa. It's a wildlife park. And Tony Cook, when he was here, not this time, but last time, showed it to me, and some of you may have seen it. But it's a, it's a, it's a, there's this herd of, of water buffalo, if I remember correctly. 
and they've come down to drink water. It's a massive herd, these big things with huge horns on their head. And the camera shows you this herd leaving the water, the, the river, and then they sh- it turns and there's a pride of lions over there all crouched down. They didn't run into that herd. They're watching to see who's going to straggle behind. And there's this young calf, whatever it was, that kind of gets wandering off and the lions go after that and pounce on it and they're dragging it down into the water. It's an amazing video to watch. And they're dragging it down. This thing's fighting for its life and you've got four or five lions on this trying to drag this poor young animal down into it and just about the time he's he's pulling out it gets worse this is just what it's like an alligator comes out and grabs the other end so there's a tug of war going between the lions on one end and this alligator on the other end and you see there's no way this thing can survive and all of a sudden the camera turns around and some of these water buffalo have realized what's going on and they've turned around and they start walking towards the lions now there are four or five lions but there's, I don't know, 50 or 60 of these huge water buffalo with these long horns. And they're timid at first because they're afraid of lions. But they're gathered together and they begin to walk slowly towards these lions who are in this tug of war with this alligator. And all of a sudden as they get closer, one or two of these water buffalo get bold. And they begin to go up closer and the lions scratch at them like that. And pretty soon you look up and they've surrounded the lions. And now the lions realize that there's something greater, there's a greater incentive than the meat they're trying to eat, and that's their survival. And so they let go, and finally this animal, this thing literally survives, gets away from the crocodile and runs off, and now the wilt, these, these, these water buffalo begin to go after the lions. And they get bolder and bolder, and the lions start running, and they chase them off. There's one of them flips one of the lions in the air. What it shows you is exactly what spiritual warfare is like. Because the enemy knows that when we're together, he can't defeat us. So he'll find some straggler, someone who just, you know, has gotten so discouraged, they stop coming to church, or they come to church, but they don't listen anymore, they're just kind of giving up, and they're kind of going through the motions. Find some straggler, you know, because after a while, what the devil will tell you, don't bother to come to church, you know, you're not getting anything out of it, and all the rest of it. And we've all heard that, I've heard it, you know. Why are you going? You know, what do you have to offer? Who are you? You know, you're not going to get anything out of it. I get that message just like you get that message. And so, but, but I've learned something. This is where you, habits are so important. Early on, we developed a habit that we go to church. We developed a habit as a family that we go to church. Now, when your children are grown up and gone, then they, then they either exercise those habits or they develop their own. But we have a habit we go to church. And what a habit does, and I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight because you're here out of habit, but, but, but encourage people. Because when you have a habit, when you don't want to do something, you do it anyway. When you don't feel like doing it, you still do it because you're in the habit of doing it. So when you're in the habit of not coming, when you don't feel like coming, that's how you're going to lean. And we need to learn to develop habits that will strengthen us because the devil wants you to develop habits that will weaken you so you become a straggler so he can begin to devour you. And this is even truer spiritually 
than it is in Kruger National Park. So Satan is like a roaring lion going around seeking who he may devour. So we therefore need to be vigilant knowing about this. Verse 9 says, Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings that you are experiencing are by your brotherhood in the world. Okay, now what we're going to begin to look at tonight, and we obviously won't finish it tonight, we're going to begin to look at some of those devices. What are some of his devices? Because if Paul's telling us in 2 Corinthians 2 to not be ignorant of them, we need to begin to identify what his weapons are. And then what we'll begin to look at after that, we'll begin to look at the weapons that God has given to us. So let's go, first of all, over to John chapter 8. I know we're moving around in the Bible tonight, but it's a Bible study, so that's okay. John chapter 8. And this is the most important thing you need to learn about the devil. And it's amazing, as much as we can know it, we forget this, because he is very crafty. John chapter 8, verse... Jesus is in a discussion with, um, with the, the Pharisees. Let's go back to verse... Um, they're accusing him of, of, you know, who do you... You're saying you're the Son of God. But wait a minute, you know, we know your mother and father are Mary and Joseph. You know, and after all, Moses isn't here anymore, and Abraham's not any here anymore. And they said in verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. And then they said, they said to him, you were born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said what they're referring to is Jesus' mother was pregnant before she got married. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded for, forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? It's because, why are you not, because you're not able to listen to my word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, He speaks of his own resources or nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's look at that. He says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. He is not capable of telling the truth because there is no truth in him. The reverse of that is God is not capable of telling a lie because his word is truth. Exact opposites. Now here's where Satan's crafty. Because there's no truth in him, he cannot speak the truth. But he can use truth as a device. And you've heard this before. Counterfeiters. Counterfeit money. 
they only counterfeit denominations that are real denominations. So you'll never find a counterfeit $3 bill because when you see a $3 bill, you're going to know that's got to be counterfeit because there is no real $3. A counterfeit is something that's intended to fool you and make you think it's real so that you will trust in it as if it were real when in reality there's no truth in it at all. And so nowadays with all these duplicating machines and things, they've got have to come up with special $20 bills and special paper so that they can tell, the banks can tell and the, the people that take cash in can tell that this is a real $20 bill because the counterfeiters can be so good they can make a fake $20 bill looks so good that you'll take it as, a, as if it were a real $20 bill. So what, what, a, what a counterfeiter does, what a deceiver does, is they intentionally and with great skill make something look real that in, re, that in essence is not real. Another example, and this is if you had a, a, a skunk or something in your neighborhood that you wanted to get rid of, and I'm not encouraging you to do it this way, but let's suppose you did, because it fits my example. So don't write me letters. And you decided you wanted to poison that skunk. Aww. Well, just so you know, my family, we had a skunk in our house. It was a pet skunk, and it was descended, but my mother collected all kinds of things like that. And so I'm not against skunks, except I don't want them in my backyard or my basement. We came home from a Wednesday night a number of years ago, opened the garage door, and guess what's looking back at us? This cute pussycat with white stripes down its back. I did not drive into the garage that night, and I didn't poison it either. But here's my point. If you were going to do that, if suppose you had a a rat in your, something you wanted to poison, you're not going to take a a plastic piece of meat and paste poison on it, are you? Because the animal is going to look at it and know that's not real. You're going to take real meat, but you're going to stick in it the poison. So it smells real, it it tastes real, it feels real, but the real purpose behind that meat is not to make that animal healthier, it's to kill it. And so what Satan will do is he will take scriptures, we're going to see where he does it with Jesus, he'll take scriptures, he'll take people that mean well, love you, are praying for you, and he will use them He'll use, remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but he uses flesh and blood as his weapons. Unless Satan appears in front of you and goes, nya, 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 he's going to use people. And he'll use people sometimes close to you. He'll use people that, you know, that because you're more open. He'll use situations that you're more accustomed to and you're, you're familiar with because it, it's something, and he'll use something you want. That animal wants that meat, that wants that hamburger, wants that steak. It appeals to their appetite and it smells like it's going to satisfy their need. It, it, it feels like it's going to satisfy their need. It looks like it's going to satisfy their need. But that's why it's so important to know who gave the meat to you. Because inside that meat, it's not really for that animal's health. It's to kill it. And so Satan, Jesus said, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he doesn't come with packages marked theft, murder, and destruction. He comes with good things that look like it's going to help you and people that are going to encourage you. And you've got to be discerning 
of where it's coming from. And sometimes we don't know until it's gone off and then we recognize where it's come from. And the point here is we've got to recognize that our enemy is a liar. I've heard people say, well, well, the devil's talking to me. Why would you listen? If somebody comes up to you with a teacher t-shirt that says, I'm a known liar. Suppose you get a salesman. Comes to your door and says, hello, my name is John Pfeffer. I'm a liar, but I want to share you some things about my product. You're not going to give him the time of day. Why? Then if the Bible says, if Jesus says Satan is a liar and he cannot tell the truth, you're not the exception. He's not capable of it because there's no truth in him. But the very essence of deception is it tells you a lie dressed up like truth. This is why he's seeking whom he may devour, because he's looking for people that have not learned to discern truth from error. Well, how do I learn to discern truth from error? God has given us something that discerns truth from error. This thing and the Spirit of God in you. We read it a little while ago where the Apostle John says, in these last days, there are many spirits that have gone out into the world and the spirit of the Antichrist is speaking through false prophets and there are many of them out there today telling you all kinds of things that sound good, taste good. Oh, I want to believe that that's so. But you've got to go to the standard here. You've got to go to the template and take what you're hearing and measure it up against this. Does it fit into this? Not just one or two scriptures, but the spirit of this. Because we're going to see next week that Satan, not next week, but the week after, that Satan, even with Jesus, took scriptures to Jesus, who's the Word of God. I mean, this guy is bold. If he will come to Jesus and say to his face, using scripture, if you're the Son of God, to try to get Jesus into a challenge to prove he's the Son of God, that's the same thing he did in the garden to get them to defend God. And he uses Scripture in one case. The devil will use Scripture. Well, how can I tell? It's the spirit of it. That's why you've got to spend time in it. That's why you've got to spend time in talking to God and getting to know what He's like and what He's... spirit. I, my, I, before, living with my wife for 47 years, I don't know everything about her. Certainly, I'm still discovering things as she is about me. But I know her well enough that if you told me some things that she did, I said, and she would never do that. I don't care if you've got pictures. That's not her. Because I know her. I don't care if you got all kinds of pictures on your phone. That's not her, because I know her. I know her voice. I know her footsteps. I know the sense of her presence. And she knows me. But that's the result of time together. That's the result of talking and listening and, and, and sharing and sometimes disagreeing and all the things of life you go through, of, of being physically together, of all that. The result of that is getting to know each other, getting to sense of what somebody would do. And that's even true, more true with God. So part of being vigilant, we're going to learn, is spending time with the truth. When you spend time with the truth, it's easier to discern the lie. And that's so important because Paul warns Timothy, he says, in these last days, many are going to be deceived. 
talking about the church. They're going to be tricked into going off into an apostasy, a falling away. They're going to be deceived by things that are attractive and sound good. And he said, they'll be drawn away by itching ears. And then what will happen is they'll begin to accumulate for themselves teachers who will satisfy the itch. Teachers who will satisfy the itch. We've got huge churches in the country today that are, that are, that are, that are although they're, from, from what I understand, they're not growing so much right now. They were growing and expanding with great numbers because they were, they were trying to be as friendly to people as they could be. So they didn't teach the bold truth of the gospel. They didn't teach the, the requirements. They didn't teach things that were uncomfortable to people. They taught things that were easy to hear. They taught things that were appealing to hear and in whatever ways you wanted it. So you could come, some churches you could come to and choose the style of service that you want. And what that then leads to is you get to choose the style of Lord that you want. Choose the style of Savior that you want. So you form it around what you want and what's comfortable to you. I just know in my life the things that make me comfortable never help me to grow. It's the things that make me uncomfortable, that challenge me, that, 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 that force me to grow. And if we, if we accumulate around ourselves teachers and doctrines and experiences that don't ever challenge us, then we'll never grow. I'll end with this. I don't believe that I'm responsible for building a large church here. What I'm responsible for is your maturity. What you do with it is up to you. But I'm responsible for feeding you and teaching you and training you so that you have the opportunity to grow and to mature into disciples of Christ. And that comes by hearing, not the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. The things that challenge us, the things that help us to grow. Because we're living in a dangerous time when we need to be able to discern